Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. As I mentioned, we are in Proverbs 11. Uh, it's a long chapter. It's not really that long, but yet it's taking us a long time, it seems, and we're actually not going to be able to finish it today even. And so uh, I'll remind you briefly, when we were last together, we looked at three key character traits of a wise person. So if you look at a person that people would say is, well, that's a person with wisdom there, and they live their life with wisdom, three of the character traits we considered last week were humility, integrity, and righteousness. So we looked at it in the opposite, and pride is the opposite of being wise. And so a wise person is a person that walks in humility, and they walk with integrity, and they walk with righteousness. And we spent our time really considering the first seven verses last week uh, and really digging into those ideas. Well, you would expect the chapter continues on, we're probably going to discover some more character traits. And so today we're going to focus on character traits like kindness, that wise people are kind people, persevering, they persevere or perseverance, and then discretion. And we'll see that in a number of different verses as we move through this particular uh, chapter. Now, you take all those traits and you put them together and you create a person a person that has integrity and a person that walks with humility and a person who walks in righteousness and is kind and merciful to other people and perseveres through life's difficulties. And you put all of those things together and you're creating a pretty good person, aren't you? Is that the type of person you'd like to work side by side with in a job? They share a cubicle with you? Yes. That's the type of person you'd like to work with. Is that the type of person you'd like to marry, for instance, or be close friends with? The answer is yes. Is that the type of person you would like to be? I certainly hope the answer is yes, because I'll tell you this, that's God's desire for each of us. That's what God wants to do in us. He wants to make us to be that particular type of person. And if we already have some of those character traits, he wants to increase those character traits in our lives. And so our goal today is that the Lord might do that. You may recall all the way back in Proverbs chapter 1, when we started our study, it was actually our second study, Solomon said these words to his son. He said, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And I spent some time looking into this idea that when it says to hear, it's more than just letting it go into your ears, but it's letting it go into your ears and sink down into your heart and become a part of your life. And so with that reminder, that's what the Lord would have for us today, that we would hear these things about, this is the type of person I want to make you to be. We'd hear that, we'd let it sink down and go into the deep places of our hearts. So that, that's been my prayer for us this week. It's my prayer for myself. And with that, let's dig in. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. Now, a number of different times already in the book of Proverbs, we've looked at this word righteous. And of course, we remind ourselves, and I think it's important to do so, that when the book of Proverbs calls a person righteous, or it says the righteous one, or it speaks about being righteous and walking in righteousness, we're reminded that none of us has the ability to be righteous. None of us has the ability to turn it on like a switch. You know, it's coming up on New Year's, new, new uh, resolution, or whatever the phrase is, uh, turn over a new leaf, I'm going to be a good person. None of us has the ability to do that. We can't just turn it in on and of, our, of ourselves. Some people think you can, but we, we know that we can't, that we fall short. The scripture makes it very, very clear that our hearts are desperately wicked. Some versions say that they're desperately sick, as if they are sick to the point where they're going to go on and die. 
And so our hearts are desperately wicked. They want to go after sin. They're longing to go after sin. And unless God changes our hearts, Paul uses the word quickens in the King James, or makes our hearts alive. Unless God does that, we're never even going to have a desire to honor God with our lives, let alone the strength to honor God with our lives. So when Solomon is writing about being righteous, he's not talking about turning over a new leaf, and he's not talking about taking a New Year's resolution. He's presuming that God has already done a work of righteousness in our hearts, that he's given us new life in Jesus Christ, and as the scripture says, he's given us a new heart, his heart, essentially, that we might be able to walk in righteousness. And so with that, with that little reminder to start today, Again, we read, verse 8 says, the righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. So here's a person, God has done a work in their lives. He's given them a new heart that they now might desire to do the things of God and walk in the things of God. And as the verse said, that person is delivered from trouble while the wicked walks in it instead. Now this verse doesn't necessarily promise that the righteous will be free from all trouble in life. Difficulties will still come for that particular person, but what it assures us is that the Lord will deliver the righteous from that trouble. So the trouble may still come, but the promise is that the Lord will deliver that person from that trouble. And if you think back through the Bible with me and you look at the Old Testament into the New Testament, think of the book of Daniel, two different examples. There in Daniel, you have three Jewish boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who take a stand for righteousness, knowing that it's going to be costly for doing so. And those three young Jewish guys are thrown into the fiery furnace for that particular stand. That's pretty troubling, wouldn't you say? Thank you, two of you, yes. But if you read Daniel chapter 3, what you discover is that they're delivered out of that fiery furnace. You read in the same book of Daniel, a few chapters later, chapter 6, that the author, Daniel, is thrown into the lion's den. Again, a troubling circumstance. And he is thrown into the lion's den because of the righteous stand that he takes. And the next thing you know, as a result, the law is he must be executed. He's thrown there into a lion's den. Read the rest of Daniel chapter 6, and you see that he is delivered from those lions and his expected fate. You read of how King Saul chased David throughout the wilderness for a period of time, looking to kill David, troubling certainly, or the way in which Esther and Mordecai were delivered from the trouble that wicked Haman sought to bring against them. And again and again, you see examples of the way in which the Lord delivers the righteous from trouble. And I find it interesting that that verse goes even further, because then it talks about how instead the wicked walks into it. Instead, again and again, if you think of those stories that I just shared with you, with the story of the fiery furnace, the very people that are tossing them into the fiery furnace and they're delivered, those very people end up being tossed into the fiery furnace themselves. You think of the story of Daniel and how those that tossed him in end up in that uh, lion's den. It says there in chapter 6, verse 24, the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den. In the book of Esther, which we studied not too long ago, the very gallows which Haman had set up to kill Mordecai on were the gallows that were used to take his life. And as it says there in in chapter 7 of Esther, the king said, hang him on that. So the Lord promises that the child of God can commit his or her ways to him and trust themselves to him, and the Lord promises to have the back of the righteous. Amen? 
Now you look at verse 9, changing directions. It says, now with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Now, two different verses in our section of uh, the passage today that deal with the words that come out of our mouth. The other one's going to be verse 12, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. And when I, when I talk about the words that come out of our mouth, I'm not just speaking simply of the actual words, but I'm also speaking of the reason behind those words, the purpose for the words that we speak. Solomon here, he says, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Look at verse 12. You can skip down a little. It says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Now, he doesn't say it in verse 9, but the implication is this, that while the godless man destroys his neighbor with his mouth, the implication is that the godly man or woman does not. That's the implication there. So the godless man destroys his neighbor with his mouth. The godly man or woman does not. They don't, the godly man or woman does not belittle their neighbor with their words. And as your mom always used to say to you, I imagine, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, the wise person knows that. And so they don't go belittling their neighbor. And they don't tear down their neighbor. Jesus cares about the words you speak. Right? Jesus cares about the words you speak. Can I add something to contemporize this for today? Jesus cares about the words you type, with your little thumbs, on Facebook and on Twitter. Jesus cares about those things. It's, a, it's remarkable the types of things people will say on Facebook and Twitter. You know, years ago, we, used to, people get all tough when they go to the bar. They drink a little, and now they can take on the whole bar, that sort of thing. And we call it beer muscles. You know, all of a sudden, they're the strongest guy in the bar, and you know, the squeaky guy or whatever it may be, they have beer muscles. I think people get Facebook muscles because they're sitting, you know, 500 houses away and they're typing whatever they want to type. I'm going to go find out where you live. You say that to my face, you know, that sort of thing. But no, people get these muscles. I think Jesus cares about the things we type on Facebook and Twitter because words, whether they're written or they're spoken, are, are a reflection of the work of God that is in our heart. It's an indicator. They are an indicator of where our heart is. And a verse like this, these two verses, it tells us, bring the words that you speak into subjection to Jesus Christ. That's what the godly man or woman does. So be careful with the words that you say and speak words with wisdom. Amen? amen. Verse 10 and 11. Well, that's a big amen. All right. <laughs> it's resonating. All right, verse 10. Now, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. One commentator I read, he said this, Two occasions when a city breaks out in joyful celebration are when the righteous prosper and when the wicked perish. And reading that statement, I'm sure there's other occasions, like if the local team wins the Super Bowl or something like that. Um, that won't happen in North Jersey, we know, this year. Um, anyhow, we'll leave it at that. But two occasions when the city breaks out in joyful celebration are when the righteous prosper and the wicked perish. And that reminded me, maybe you remember these iconic photos. Can you see it? I hope you can see it here. This one in particular, hit a like, because this is too good. This particular one over here, you remember this one from history? No, nobody? Okay, you didn't have 
11th grade history, you didn't teach it for 15 years, and I have to see it every single year. Well, this particular fella, I don't know what his job is, he looks like a bus driver or something, uh, but that was taken uh, when FDR was, uh, was found to be dead, when he died. And so here, the President of the United States, some of us might cry if the current president died or cheer or I don't know what your political persuasion is, but this particular guy, he was heartbroken. And this was real indicative of a lot of people in America when FDR, who was president for 13 years uh, of lives, this is how many people responded. And so you can see, and I don't know if he was a righteous man or not, but people liked him. We'll just leave it at that. And then on this side over here, this is when news was that Saddam Hussein was captured, and this is the people of Iraq that are ruling. And I, I would hope that we could all agree that Saddam was a, was a pretty unrighteous fellow. All right, so you can turn the light uh, back on there. But two occasions, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Reminded me of those particular photos. You know, certainly when folks like Hitler and Mussolini and Nero, when all of those guys passed off the scene, Though their community may not have said anything about their leadership before, they were quite content to say something afterwards. And as we've been looking in our study of the book of Proverbs, we've seen this a number of times, God's blessing is upon those that do things as he has prescribed those things to be done. Right? God's blessing is upon those who do things as God has prescribed things to be done. So that when a person honors the Lord with their decisions that person's life is going to experience the blessings of God. That's the laws and principles of Scripture, that when a person does things according to God's ways, the way that he prescribes, they're going to be blessed. Now, here's the thing. And everyone that is in proximity to that person is going to be blessed as well. So if you're a husband and you're honoring the Lord with your life and the decisions that you make, you're going to begin to experience God's blessing. And that blessing can come in a variety of ways. It can come in favor at work as your bosses and so on look at you and say, you know what, that's a great employee. I'm so glad they're a part of this place. And you might get promotions or you might get um, raises or you might get more opportunities or whatever it may be. And so it could come at work or it could come in your community or your neighborhood. As people see, this is a good quality person. They're honest. They walk with integrity. They can be trusted and so on, and all of those sorts of things. And so people begin to show their favor, and so on. So when a person walks with God, and they does things as God would direct and approve, their life is going to experience God's blessing. And that might be at work. It might be in their relationship with their spouse. Their children are going to experience the overflow of God's blessing. And if you get enough people that are doing that in, let's say, a town, that town is going to experience God's blessing. You get enough people in a city, the city's going to experience God's blessing. You get enough people in a nation and certainly in the world. And so there is an overflow of God's blessing. And that is the reason why when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Look at verse 11. It goes even further. It says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. It's lifted up. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. As people walk with the Lord, the Lord blesses those people. The greater number of people, the greater the amount of blessing, and pretty soon a whole city begins to experience it. Jesus describes the influence of a godly people 
and the influence they'll have on a community. And he describes it in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says there that they are the salt of the earth. He says that they are the light of the world. And he goes on, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Salt preserves. Righteous people in a society will preserve that society. Light gives clarity. A city on a hill is a beacon. You think to the Old Testament and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you destroy the city if there are 10 righteous in the city? And the answer is no. Righteousness preserves a people. And eventually they can't even find five people and those people are taking out. Then taken out, then the judgment comes. In a little bit, we're going to get the Proverbs chapter 29. Verse 2 of that chapter says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. That's why I think it matters, the personal... Uh, not integrity, um, personal morality of our elected officials, I think that's ma that matters and should be something you take into account when you go into the voting book. Because it says here, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. That's why I think it's something you should bring into your consideration when you're making a decision as to who you're going to elect. Because a city, or an, and we're so fortunate to be able to elect people, not just given people, we get to pick them. Although some would doubt that. <laughs> a city or nation is lifted up when God and his ways are honored and when his ways are implemented. And conversely, that same nation or city is, as it says there in the verse, brought down low or overthrown, it says in the version I'm using, when the wicked reigns. And so your seemingly insignificant life, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful, my seemingly insignificant life on the grand scheme of things, certainly in the world as well as in history, has a bigger impact on my place of business, the place that I might go to work or you might go to work, than I probably realize. Your humble, God-honoring family impacts or your neighborhood and community probably more than you and I understand. And I, I would dare say this, not to be melodramatic, but this relatively small congregation on this scheme of things in the world is having a bigger impact on Ewing and Trenton than we probably realize, and Lawrence and Hamilton and Princeton and everywhere you guys are from, Bucks County and so on, is having a bigger influence than we probably realize. Because as a people walk with God and seek to obey him, the Lord blesses those people. And there is a spillover effect in the lives of others. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. And so be the salt and light that God has called you to be. And without a word, as it says in 1 Peter, let others be drawn to God by your good deeds, not your fake good deeds, just who you are. And allow not people to draw to yourself, why are you such a good person? What makes you so good? Well, you know, I was brought up right. You know, or something like that. No. Let them see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Use it as an opportunity to, pour, to point people to Christ. May I suggest this simple prayer? Tomorrow, some, many of you work, I imagine. Tomorrow when you get ready to start your day or you go and you sit down at your office or wherever it is that you work, a simple prayer is this. Lord, make me to be a blessing today in what I'm about to do. That's just a simple prayer that will cause you to be aware that when you sit in the classroom with other people, Lord, that I would be a blessing. When you go to that place of business and you're wandering around the factory, that I would be a blessing or what have you. Amen, friends? Amen. Good. That wasn't as vigorous. 
as the first one. Uh, verse 12 says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Now, I know I already commented a little bit about this verse, but that verse specifically, it reminded me of the scenario or the situation that is found in the book of 2 Samuel. There in the book of 2 Samuel, you have a fellow by the name of Shimei, who is of the household of Saul that is following after David. And the whole time that he's following after David and David's group of men, he's cursing David and yelling at David and saying things about David and so on. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Finally, I like this guy. I think this would have been me. Finally, one of David's men says, I've had enough. Let me go cut his head off. I don't know if I would say that. But the guy's had enough. This guy just running his mouth too much. Let me go take care of him. Let me deal with him. And David's response is awesome. David essentially says this, just leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let him go on cursing. Let God take care of him. And that reminded me of this verse here, or this verse reminded me of that story, because the wise man or woman, the one of understanding, as some of our versions will say it, holds their peace, it says. The man of understanding, the woman of understanding, remains silent in instances like this. And so they're confident, look, I don't need to defend my cause. I don't have to correct everything that person has just said. I don't have to be the one that gets the last word. I don't have to be the one that is making sure that the record is set straight. What they do is they leave it with the Lord, and they let the Lord defend their cause. And the Bible here says that is wisdom. That's wisdom. Amen? Amen. Over there, I heard it. Thank you. Verse 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. A key characteristic of a wise person is that they are trustworthy, particularly with information, as this verse makes reference to, that they are trustworthy, if you will, with other people's secrets. And if I may suggest, make it your goal to become a person that is trustworthy, a person that people can go to, share secrets with, and know that it's not going to go out into the entire world. The wise person doesn't go around slandering other people, whether the information they have is correct or not. They don't go around slandering other people's reputation or character. The wise person chooses to let a rumor die with them. Hey, have you heard? And then they, you all perked up, didn't you? I saw it. You know. But, you know, if someone comes to you, have you heard, have you heard? And you get all excited and, you, and your mind already starts, who am I going to tell with this juicy bit of info? The wise person lets the rumor die with them rather than give the rumor life by telling it and passing it along to others. It, they, this person is a faithful friend because they know how to maintain another person's confidence. And quite frankly, it's kind of harsh to say, but they keep their mouths shut. And that's a good thing. William Arnaud, my hero, I don't even know the guy, but I love his book and I keep quoting it. I'm sure it's the 48th time. But William Arnaud, he said this, beyond computation, precious is the friend instead of the weakness and wickedness of a talebearer, who instead of the weakness or wickedness of a talebearer, possesses the opposite qualities of strength and goodness, who is soft enough to take in your sorrows and firm enough to keep them. I love that verse, or that last phrase especially. I'm, I'm not sensing it from you, but I'm, I love the last phrase that says, soft enough to take in your sorrow, but firm enough to keep them. 
because so often it's one or the other. You're firm enough and you're like a, a brick wall to go talk to and so nobody comes to talk to you. Or you're soft enough and boy, everybody can come and share it with you, but you're not strong enough to hold on to that information. And so precious is the friend. He says, beyond computation. And so one who is trustworthy. Now, may I also throw this out? Be careful. A lot of us are trustworthy. We would never talk about secrets that we heard from another person uh, in confidence that they shared with us. We would never spread those rumors, although we might bring them up as prayer requests. See, that's a way around it. And so we get together and we, we get to our prayer meeting. We need to pray for Sister Sally. Have you heard what Sister Sally is going through? And then we, we rattle it all off there and we say, pray for her, you know, and throw it out there. Be very careful that you don't use the prayer meeting as an opportunity to be a talebearer, so to speak. Whoever, so to speak, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Amen. I'm not even asking you that time. Amen. <laughs> Continuing on. When there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance, in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Verse 14 speaks of the importance and blessing of sharing life with others. Of sharing life with others. We need to do it. We need to be linked to other brothers and sisters. There is wisdom in sharing your life with other people in the faith, wisdom in being open to receiving counsel and input from other people. We know the New Testament spends time digging into this. We have been placed into the body of Christ for a reason, for our benefit, for our blessing. And so we should take advantage then of the body of Christ. Truly, there's safety in having the combined judgment of many good counselors. There's safety there. It says that in the verse, in, a, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, of course, we want to caution. We want to be careful that we don't go shopping around counselors to find the one to tell us the thing we want to hear. And so, you know, we're wrestling with the decision. What should I do? Where should I go? Should I in this particular direction or not? And we ask 10 people and they all say, I don't know, it doesn't sound good. Don't do it. But we don't like that answer. So we just keep on looking around. And then finally we find someone and they say, you should go for it. Sounds like an awesome idea. It's 10 to 1, but they were the last one to share. And you're like, yeah, I, I hear you speaking, brother, sister. And so we go there and we shop around until we get the answer we want. We, sh we are called to seek godly wisdom and insight from godly men and women. Men and women that you admire for their faith. And then the passage really it, it implies we should then prayerfully submit that to the Lord. And let it direct us in the multitude of counselors, but in the multitude of wise counselors. And I'd encourage you to do that. All right? and, I, and I have to be honest, there are times when I know what people are going to say if I ask them for their direction. I'm just not quite sure, but I know what they're going to say. And I don't want to ask them. Because I just want to go ahead and do it. And Lord, we'll work it out together. You and me. I trust you, Lord. And, uh, but there's wisdom there. We had a situation last week where I had to go to a multitude of counselors, and I didn't want their answer. <laughs> and I was really not going to bring it up, um, but I did. And I'm really glad, so happy that I did, uh, as you can imagine. All right, verse 15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. We talked about this three times now. 
this idea of becoming security for another person, co-signing a loan, things like that. Um, third time now we're talking about it. Please heed God's warning. If you're involved in co-signing other people's loans and, and all of that stuff, you're setting yourself up for difficulty. It tells us this three times. Solomon's word is that the man who hates suretyship or security for another person saves himself a lot of headaches. That's put in the Greg Downs translation. Alrighty, but protect yourself, be wise, listen uh, to what he has to say, okay? Verse 16, a gracious woman gets honor and a violent man gets riches. Now, at first glance, it doesn't seem like a Bible verse. The first part does, the second part doesn't. At, at first glance, glance, it seems like it's commending two different people. The first being the woman, who with grace uh, is rewarded, if you will, with honor. The second being the man who with violence is being rewarded with riches. And so we look at that and we say, all right, then here's, here's the takeaway. That men and women really, but ladies here, be gracious and kind to other people and you'll be honored by others. And men, bulk up a bit, start beating people up and you'll become rich. You know, it kind of seems like that's the message that is being communicated. I have a hard time thinking that's what Solomon was trying to say in this particular passage. What I would suggest to you is this, that Solomon is saying this, that grace, and whether that grace really, he uses women, but whether it's exhibited by men or women, that grace leads to honor in a person's life. So you treat people with kindness and generosity and graciousness, and generally speaking, they will appreciate you for doing so and speak well of you to others. Now, conversely, you become a violent man and you do whatever it takes to get ahead, you may obtain riches, but that's all you're going to obtain. What you won't have is the honor of other people. You'll have all their money, but you will not necessarily have the honor of other people. Now, some among us, and certainly some that are in our community and our world, will say, well, that's fine. I just want to be filthy rich. As long as I'm filthy rich, I don't care about anybody else or what they think about me. Well, such a statement reveals the foolishness of a person's mindset. No offense. If you're thinking that way, I'm sorry, but that's a foolish way to look at things. Because as we've said now a number of times, and you can finish it for me if you want, he who dies with the most toys, it's, that person still dies. And so there has to be something beyond wealth on this earth. Because nobody's taking those things with you, with them, after they have died. We have to be a people, if we're going to be wise... We have to be a people that aspire for something more than wealth. Because to be truly wise, you have to aspire for something that lives on beyond the grave. And wealth doesn't. Wisdom lives on beyond the grave. And so what we should be aspiring for is wisdom. And so Solomon gives this example. By grace, a woman will be honored and a violent man is going to obtain riches. You might want to add there, kind of on the side, that's all they're going to get. Or only riches. Whereas, again, some might think that's pretty awesome. The reality is it doesn't measure up to wisdom and honor and so on. Verse 17 says, a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. In the book of Luke, the author Luke records for us Jesus' words. Jesus says this, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, Will it be put into your lap? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, oftentimes people use that verse as a reference to giving, financial giving. If you look at the context of that passage, it's really not talking about financial giving. 
what it's talking about is mercy and forgiveness. That's what the passage is talking about. So really what Jesus is saying there, when he says, give and it will be given you, he's saying, give mercy and mercy will be given back to you. Give forgiveness, forgive other people, and others will forgive you. Another time, Jesus declared, blessed are the merciful. And the reason why he said that they're blessed is because they shall receive mercy. So when a person is merciful or kind or generous to other people, that has a way of returning back to the person as well. As someone says, it's returned back to them with interest. And so when you show mercy and kindness and generosity to the other people, that has a way of finding itself and coming back to you. Now, I think it's interesting to know, and we take note, that the one that refuses to display kindness and mercy to others in the long run ends up hurting themselves. If you look there, it says a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. There was a study in the British Medical Journal that revealed, I read that from time to time, that revealed that a cruel disposition takes a physical toll on a person's body. So if you're a person given over to cruelty, or you're given over to revenge, for instance, unforgiveness and exacting revenge and fingering out ways to bring about that revenge, what that study there in the journal explains to them is that that takes a physical toll on the person themselves. That as a person becomes obsessed with hurting other people or getting revenge on other people, that that cruelty doesn't only impact the person on the receiving end, but on the giving end as well. That the one who bears the cruelty and the one who inflicts the cruelty are both impacted by it. And so the wise person then responds to other people with kindness and mercy and is a blessing not only to the other person, but you're also then a blessing to yourself because you're going to be a much healthier and much happier person for taking that mindset as you go into to matters. And so the wise would take heed, right? Verse 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness will get a sure reward. Now, the wicked person might think that he or she is getting ahead in life by mistreating other people, stealing from other people, stepping on other people, conniving, cheating other people. But as this says here, they are getting for themselves deceptive wages. And the idea there being is that such gain doesn't truly last, certainly not for eternity. And as we've been taking notice, the Lord has a way, doesn't he, of righting a lot of wrongs so that even a wicked person's ways are exposed here on the earth for what they are. Certainly know they will be exposed when they come before God on their last day. And it's the one who sows righteousness who gets the sure reward. And so the person that has committed themselves to wicked ways here on the earth, they may get ahead a little bit here on the earth, but the wages that they are acquiring are deceptive wages. The righteous has the sure reward. As it says in Matthew 13, their righteousness will shine like the sun. The, right, the rewards of a life given over to righteousness are real and permanent. They're sure. And foolish is the conduct and far heavier the punishment of the man or the woman who sows wickedness in this life and then expects that that won't come into account in the next. We know the, the reality is the opposite. What then is more wise to pursue? Deceptive wages or a sure reward? That's an easy one. 
a sure reward. It's more wise to pursue that. Wisdom tells us the sure reward. And so how do you acquire that? You choose a life built upon righteousness, and you keep yourself from the ways of wickedness. Every time you're faced with a decision, I can go the way of wickedness, and ah, oh, look at that. It's right out there, the reward. Or I can go the way of righteousness. And I'm not quite sure. I don't see the reward. Choose righteousness, because the reward is certain, and it is sure. Amen? Amen, Amen on that one. Thank you. Continuing, verse 19. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Generally speaking, if you do what is right in God's sight, you will live better and you will live longer. And if you reject God's counsel and instead pursue wickedness and sin, you will suffer the consequences of that pursuit. As the verse says here, and you will die. Look down to verse 21 for a minute. It says something similar. It says, be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. I mentioned this a week or two ago. There's a spiritual law which says, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That's a physical law even. But it's a spiritual law like gravity. It's just the way it is whether you like it or not. And even so, this is a spiritual law. A person that pursues evil will reap the punishment at the end of that pursuit. And as the verse says, that he who pursues evil will die. While the one, conversely, that is steadfast in their pursuit of righteousness will experience the blessing of that pursuit, both in this world and in the next. That's a spiritual law. Verse 20, those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. If you want to please the heart of God, if you want to please the heart of God, I know many of you stopped listening for much of the sermon. If you want to please the heart of God, so hear this, please. If you want to please the heart of God, honor God in all of your ways, and you will please the heart of God. And I imagine that's what most of us desire. Live life blamelessly. We talked about that word last week. That means live life without hypocrisy. And you will be God's delight, as the verse says. Conversely, what's the Lord disgusted with? Or what does he despise? As it says in the verse there, the one who is crooked of heart. King James uses the word froward. The one that is froward. To be froward is to be regularly thinking and acting in opposition to God's word. So if you want to bring disgust to God, live your life regularly in opposition to God's word. But if you want to be his delight, then live your life blamelessly. Honor him. Walk in righteousness, not sinlessly, but blamelessly, without hypocrisy. That idea of froward, that's the idea sometimes in the Bible where it talks about being perverse. It's not being like a weirdo or something like that. It's this idea of twisting what God wants, twisting it and saying, you know what, I know a better way. That's the idea of being perverse. And the Lord stands opposed to such twistedness. So if you want to bless the heart of God, then walk in God's ways, even when it's hard to do so. And many times it is. And it goes against everything the world is telling us to do. And I think more significantly, everything my flesh is saying that I should do. But do it anyway. Walk in God's ways. The Lord sees that, and he's blessed when you do so. And that's how you bless the heart of God. Amen? Amen. And we are going to stop there this morning. 
Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.